chapter 2. Let's turn. If you're there, say amen. Okay, Luke chapter 2, and we're going to see the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. Now, it's all about the birth of Christ. That's what Christmas is all about, isn't it? Christmas is not about shopping. It's not about gifts. It's about the greatest gift, and that's the gift of Jesus Christ. The birth of Christ divides history. What do I mean by that? B.C. and A.D. is divided by this birth that we're going to study this morning, the birth of Jesus Christ. And it's an amazing thing because Jesus was just a carpenter. Jesus, as far as we know, never even left his own country, his little country of Israel, which is the size of Indiana. Never even left Indiana. Jesus never had an army like a great king would have an army. Just had 12 disciples. Jesus, as far as we know, Jesus never even wrote a book. Well, he kind of did. It's called the, well, the Word of God. But, but in his human time, he never even wrote a book. Jesus never did great things that great people used to do. But because of his birth, because of his life, because of his death on the cross, and because of his resurrection, he's changed human history like no other man. Think about it. This is 2,000 years after the birth of Christ, just about. And billions of people around the world in, in two days will celebrate the birth of this one called Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Greatness is seen in this man who's born in a manger. We're going to study this birth this morning. It's wonderful. And my prayer for us as a church, as we get into this Christmas season, it'll be more than just eggnog and gifts and shopping and family times. And I pray that we have great family times, we have great times together with people we love, but the most important thing, the reason for this season is Jesus. And I pray that our focus will be not on a holiday, but a holy day, the birth of Jesus Christ. So let's get into it, church. Luke chapter 2, verse 1, and again, if you're there, say amen. Let's look at it. Let's look at the birth of Christ. Probably the greatest description by Dr. Luke, detailed description of the birth of Christ we have in the Gospels is the description of Luke in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now remember, one of the reasons why Luke was so detailed was, what was his job? His doctor is Dr. Luke. He's very detailed, most detailed gospel we have because he was a doctor. And he wrote both Luke and the book of Acts to a guy named Theophilus. The name Theophilus means lover of God. And this Theophilus, many scholars believe, was an actual person that probably was a wealthy person that came to Christ under Paul's probably spiritual mentorship. He came to Christ, uh, Theophilus did, and Theophilus, as a wealthy person in the Roman Empire, you have your own doctor. And the doctor that he gave then to Paul for his traveling missionary journeys was Luke. And then Luke went on to write the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And where did he get all the details from? It wasn't from Paul. For two years, Paul was in Caesarea in prison. And most scholars believe when Paul was in prison for those two years, Dr. Luke went around back to Jerusalem and to other people, and he interviewed eyewitnesses to, to write the gospel of Luke from the detailed accounts he got from eyewitnesses, including Mary. Most scholars believe that Mary was personally interviewed by Luke, and that's why he got such a detailed account of what happened here in Luke chapter 2. So with that background in mind, let's look at Luke chapter 2, verses uh, 1 and 2. It says this, Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the, the census be taken of all the inhabited earth. 
And this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now those days, those days were the birth of Christ were very important days. And they were under the leadership, interesting, of an emperor. His name was Caesar Augustus. Now Caesar Augustus was the, was the great nephew of a guy by the name you've probably heard of before, Julius Caesar. And Julius Caesar, after he was assassinated, what he did was he had said that his great nephew was his heir, it was his adopted son, and he wanted this nephew to be the leader, the, the next leader of Rome. His, his name was actually Gaius Octavius Turinius. And when he became Caesar, he said, he went to the Senate and he said, I want a designation as, as Caesar, king so-and-so. And so the Senate met and they came back and they said, okay, well, we will call you Caesar the king. And Augustus said, nope, not good enough. I don't like, there's kings all over the place. I want a different name. The Senate went back and met again. We'll call you Caesar the dictator. Caesar said, nope, not good enough. Don't want the name. And so they met again and they said, and they came up with the name Caesar Augustus. You know what Augustus means? Of the gods. And Caesar said, I like that. And the unfortunate thing, what happened was, after Caesar Augustus, because of this deity idea of the Caesars, they actually started elevating the Caesars, Caesar Augustus, the first one, to be like of the gods. And they actually started uh, what was called Caesar worship, where everybody in the, the Roman Empire was forced to say, Caesar is Lord, or Caesar is God. And many Christians... Many, many Christians were burned at stakes, thrown into the lions and amphitheaters because they refused to say Caesar is Lord or Caesar is God because Jesus is who? Jesus is Lord. And so now this, this Caesar is coming out of the scene. And it says in, in those days. Now this is interesting too because in those days the Roman Empire was, was starting to become dominant to the point they had what was called Pax Romana. Pax Romana was peace among the whole Roman Empire. And so they, but it wasn't a peace that was a natural peace. It was a forced peace. It was a peace with the iron fists. But here's the beautiful thing. In the midst of all this craziness with Caesar Augustus of the gods and this Roman Empire worshiping Caesars, here's what happened. God set it up for the entrance of his son. You know why? Because there was a Roman Empire that was building roads that were highways to all the regions of Europe and the Roman Empire were extended to. And when Jesus came on the scene, it says in uh, Galatians 4.4, when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And the sovereignty of God was involved with this because the apostle Paul, after the time of Christ, could go on those Roman roads to the whole Roman Empire. And they were even lit by streetlights. And there was time for the gospel to go forth to the whole known world at the time. Also interesting, Alexander the Great before the Roman Empire set it up that the whole known world would speak one language, universal language. It was the language of Kyone Greek. And so the whole world was set up for one language. So when the missionaries would go forth, there was one language. It was universal. It was easy to bring the message of Jesus to a world that had one, one language. The whole thing was being set up by God and his sovereignty, even though Caesar thought he was of the gods. And then it says in verse 3, And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David. 
in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. Now, you know the story. The story is she's pregnant, but she's not pregnant in a normal way. Who was the father? God and the Holy Spirit. She, she conceived by the Holy Spirit. And at first, Joseph was going to put her away because he didn't want her to be, she could, by uh, Jewish law, be stoned to death for, for fornication and adultery, but she didn't because, because uh, Joseph had a dream, and the dream uh, angel appeared to Joseph and said, she's conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so now, Joseph is taking Mary, notice, last trimester, right before the birth of Jesus, she's taking Mary all the way from from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That's a 50-mile trip. Ladies, think of this. Remember your last, your last trimester of your last baby? Can you imagine getting on a donkey and going 50 miles on a donkey right before you're going to have a baby? And you're going, oh, vey. I remember uh, I, sometimes I just I, I don't plan things the way I should plan things. And I remember we were, in our, we were excited about planting our second church. We were going to move back to the Midwest where our parents were at. And we had us all set up, and all the things came into place for us to move and everything else. And we moved from Southern California to Wisconsin to plant our second church. And Heidi was just, we just had our third child, and the third child was like a month old. And I look back, and I go, what, was I crazy doing that? And we drove vans across in a U-Haul trailer truck across the country with a one-month-old. I'm going, we must have been really young to do that. But I was thinking about that when I was thinking of Joseph getting Mary on a donkey last trimester and bringing her all the way across from, from, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, 50 miles. And it was all because of this Caesar of the gods guy. And he was, he was, what he was doing was he, was he was telling all the Jewish people in his Roman Empire and all the, all the citizens of his Roman Empire, you need to go back to your hometown. And when you go back to your hometown, we're going to have a census. We're going we're to see who you have to enroll in your whole town. And then that census will help the Caesar to tax everybody appropriately because they're registered in their hometowns. Now, question. Was Caesar doing all this? No. God was. How do I know that? Because Micah 5.2, hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, said this, but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too, little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long days ago, from the days of eternity. Hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, Micah the prophet said the Messiah was going to be born in, not Nazareth, but where? So God was using this Caesar of the gods, God was using him as a pawn, a puppet in his hand, to bring Joseph and Mary to a place where the Messiah was to be born, which was Bethlehem, which was was also the birthplace of King David, and the Messiah needed to be a son of of, of David, according to the scriptures also. So all know the sovereignty of God. Hey, by the way, anything that happens in your life as a believer is all under the sovereignty of God. Did you know that? Anything that happens... And, and, and another promise we have from Scripture is not only is anything that happens in your life, like just with Joseph and Mary, is under the sovereignty of God, but anything that happens in your life is under the sovereignty of God, and ultimately God will bring good out of anything that happens to you. Romans 8, 28, God causes some things. No, that's, that's a misquote, John. Get that right. God causes all things to work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. God's in control, church. 
God's still on the throne no matter what happens to you. God's got a purpose and a plan. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, God, God's, God's speaking. He says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans not for calamity, but for welfare, to give you a future and a hope. And if we had testimony time up here this morning, and we had people come forward that uh, would come forward and tell them uh, how they came to Christ, most of you would say, you didn't come to Christ when everything was going great in your life. You came to Christ when God was breaking you and showing you your need for a Savior, and you're going through some circumstances that weren't easy in your life. But God caused those bad circumstances, those trials in your life, to bring you to Christ. That's what happened to me. But one of the worst years of my life was the year before I came to Christ. I was I was uh, all American gymnast on our high school team. I was headed towards state finals. I broke my wrist a month before state finals. And God rattled my world with that and said, hey, why are you making this a God in your life? Make me a God in your life. And I did shortly after that. God causes all things to work together for the good, for those who love God and call according to his purpose. God's sovereignty is there. And we see that in Joseph and Mary in the story of Jesus. Now go, about, go on, verse 6. And while they were there, the days were completed to give, or for her to give birth, Mary. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room, no room for Jesus in the end. Oh, this is interesting, because they get, no, notice, 50-mile journey on a donkey, last trimester, they get to Bethlehem, and you know that's their hometown. You know that there's probably uncles and aunts there, but no one's willing to put them up. Why is no one willing to put them up? Because she's pregnant, and she's not married. And there's some shame going on here, I, I believe. And there's not even room at the inn. Motel 6 was full. There's no room. And so they end up, probably most scholars believe, in a cave. Because that's where the sheep were kept. And the shepherds, what they would do is they'd take all the sheep into a cave, and then there'd be a hole in the wall of the cave, and the shepherds would sleep at the hole in the wall in the cave, and they'd guard the sheep. That's the shepherd's job, was to guard the sheep. And so they allowed Joseph and Mary to come into this cave. Manger was like a feeding trough. And they, the birth of Christ happened in a cave with a manger, a feeding trough. And they put this baby Jesus in a trough that sheep would drink and eat out of. Amazing. But look at that statement. There was no room in the inn. There's another application for us today. First application is everything's under the sovereignty of God. God causes all things to work together for good. Second application for us today is this. Very important, church. Listen to this. Second application is make sure there's room in the end of your life for Jesus Christ. And we got a saying here at U-Turn for Christ. Uh, when guys are struggling, they're out in the streets and they call us and, we, and they need a place and they're homeless or they're on drugs and there's addictions, we always say, hey, there's always room in the inn. <laughs> We've been saying that for almost 20 years now. Always room in the inn at Calvary Chapel. We'll find a place for you. But here's the deal. How about room in the inn of your heart for Jesus Christ? Are you making room for him? Or is it too crowded? Is the volume too high in your life? Are you too busy? Hey, I got convicted on this study this point this week. And I realized in 2019, one of my many goals for 2019, New Year's resolutions, is make more room in the end of my heart for Jesus Christ. Now, every year I read through the entire Bible. 
I'm, I'm so excited. I'm up to the last few days. I'm counting through. I'm going through Revelation in the, in the morning, and then I'm going through Micah right now, Old Testament at nighttime, and I, I'm getting her done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the whole thing done. But you know what I realize sometimes, even in my Bible reading, I'm checking it off and getting it done. I'm not taking my time letting God speak to me through his word on a daily basis. So I'm just reading it, Evelyn Wood speed reading. I need to slow down, meditate on it. Let God speak a little bit more. Make more room in my heart for Jesus to speak into my life. Same with prayer. I pray every day. But I want to go deeper this year, 2019. Make more room in my heart, in the end of my heart for Jesus Christ. How about you? You making room? Or is the volume too loud, too crowded, too busy? Make room in the end of your heart for Jesus. Then it says in verse 8, in the same region there were some shepherds standing out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, they'll be born for you what? Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That's awesome. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger in the feeding trough. And suddenly there appeared the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts. Now notice that multitude. That's a throng, a great number. And these shepherds are just sitting in the field. All of a sudden, probably tens of thousands of angels start announcing the birth of Jesus Christ. And they were praising God. And they were saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. <laughs> And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to the one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Now, I want you to see something here. Jesus is born. The greatest event in world history has just transpired. And who do the angels go to to announce the birth, birth of Jesus Christ to? The shepherds. Now, you need to understand who shepherds were. Shepherds were not only blue-collar, but they were also not a good reputation. Shepherds in that culture were um, known as pickpockets, thieves. If, if shepherds were, were, were grazing through your area with their sheep, you would lock the doors. Because otherwise you'd have some things missing. Shepherds were known to be liars, too. In the Roman Empire at the time, shepherds could not be eyewitnesses in court cases because they'd always be bribed and they'd always lie. Notice who Jesus appears to, or who the angels appear to announcing Jesus' Jesus' birth. Was it religious leaders? Was it religious people? No. It was thieves and liars. Shepherds. Now, a couple couple theories on this. One theory is that the reason why the angels announced this, first of all, to these thieves and liars and shepherds is because everybody else was sleeping. Shepherds were up at the cave, and they were keeping guard of their sheep, and, you know, it's the middle of the night, and, sh- and these angels are saying, we got to, we got to, this is the greatest event in world history ever and ever will be, the birth of the Savior into the world. We got to tell somebody. That's one theory. I like the second theory, though. Second theory is why the angels uh, announced, first of all, to these shepherds the birth of Jesus Christ is because God has a heart for lost, sinful people. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. Jesus said, I'm a friend of sinners. And look at who his disciples were. That's true. And so what does that tell us, church? 
What should we be about as Christians? Should we be only in a holy huddle and only associated with Christians and have this kind of attitude, stiff arm attitude towards people that are lost and sinful and headed for hell? No! We should be a friend of sinners too. Now, our best friends should be Christians because we need the support of fellowship, but we should have redemptive relationships where we're leading people to Christ, and as we're going to say for the whole next year, 2019, each one of us should be reaching one. Each one reach one because we're left behind in this world to be redemptive in, in the gospel and leading people that are lost, leading thieves and liars and sinners to Christ. Can I get an amen on that, church? Amen. 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 I say amen on that too. So... So the shepherds get this announcement now. And it says in verse 15, And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying, Let us go straight to Bethlehem, and let us see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and their baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which they had been told about this child. And all who heard it wondered the things which were told them by the shepherds. And I like this. But Mary, Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds, the shepherds, hmm, went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as they'd been told them. Now, a couple things I want you to see here. First of all, what did they announce back in verse 14? What did the, what did the angels announce? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men. Now, question, after the birth of Christ, has there been nothing but peace among men? No. There's been more wars from the time of Christ till now than any other time in history. There has been peace, there's been wars. Okay, another version says this. They announced peace on earth to people he favors. And who does he favor? Those that receive Christ. And here's the peace on earth that comes until the second coming of Christ. When Christ comes in the second coming, he will bring peace among men in regards. There'll be no more wars. The Prince of Peace will be the king, and there'll be peace forever in regards to physical peace among mankind. But here's the peace that he offers today. Peace in your soul. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heaven laid. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and what? Burden is light. And the peace that Jesus offers today isn't peace, physical peace, among kings and among nations. It's peace in your soul. And it's one of the greatest gifts we have through a relationship with Jesus Christ, is you don't need to be restless, anxiety, stress-filled anymore. You can have peace. And as you develop this relationship with Christ, he goes, gives peace among those he favors. I've seen it. It's fun to see Christians that are seasoned, Christians that have walked for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years with Christ. And people that walk close with Christ, you see this peace in their lives. It's a, it's a supernatural peace. Now, it doesn't mean they don't get worried. It doesn't mean they don't have stress. It doesn't mean they don't have problems. But it, there's this overriding peace that comes among men whom God favors in God's grace is actively working in our life. And I love that. It's one of the greatest gifts we have is the peace among men that we have through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, so let's close it up here. Last thing I want you to see application-wise here is the shepherds went back, verse 20, go back again, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just been told them. They're going back now, these thieves, these liars, these, these pickpockets, and they're glorifying God. 
And they're glorifying God and praising God for all that they had seen and heard. And I believe they're going back to their pickpocket, lying, thieving friends and saying, Jesus, a Savior, has been born. We've seen myriads of angels announcing it. And they became witnesses of the Savior who was born. Isn't that what God does in our lives? He takes our sinful, broken, lying lives. And don't look at me like that. You're like that too. I'm not like that, John. Yes, you are. I'm not a sinner. I'm not a liar. You're lying right there. If if you say you're not a sinner, you're not a liar, you're lying right there. I don't lie. Yes, you do. We all do. All men have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of our sin is that, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But here's what happens. Just like those shepherds, we get a, God gets a hold of us, and the glory of God is announced to us. We understand the Savior in our lives. Next thing you know, the next step now is to be not only glorifying God and praising God for what he's done in our lives, but also to be sharing with as many people as possible. You know why? Because the world needs hope. The world needs salvation. The world needs Jesus. And I don't, you're, you're going to get this in 2019. We're, we are going to have our mission as a church. Each one, we're going to have banners up on the, on the walls. Each one, each one. I'm going to be like a broken record in 2019. We're going to get this. We're going to get this. We're going to have the hoppy press all year long in this, okay? And every, every one of us, in, I believe every one of us in this fellowship in the next year, 2019, is going to lead someone to Christ and get them here in church so they can be discipled in God's Word. And we're going to see an amazing work of God as we get on board with this, that just like these shepherds were to be praising God and giving glory to God and announcing to the world that a Savior is real and has changed our lives. And it's going to be fun to see. And it's going to be fun to see as we get on, on this program of being ambassadors for Christ. And that's what we are. Second Corinthians chapter 5, 20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors, ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of God, be what? Reconciled to God. That's our mission, church. We went on this family vacation. We tried to do it at least every couple of years with all our kids. And we had a great time. And and, 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 you know, um, one of the things we did was we were on this little boat, and we were, on, it, wasn't, it wasn't little, but it was a medium-sized boat, and we went out, and we got to see whales. Now, whales are amazing creatures. I don't know if you know much about humpback whales, but we saw, we saw whales that were the size of school buses. Listen to this, 40-ton whales. You know how much that is? That's 80,000-pound whales we saw. And so we're, I'm sitting on, I get a little motion sickness. I don't got sea legs at all. And so everybody else, our kids are all watching these whales and stuff. I went up on the top deck and I sat down and I said, Lord, help me not to start throwing up and making a fool of myself. <laughs> and so I'm sitting up there and go, oh Lord, please. Because they, they would stop where a whale would be and you stop out in the middle of the ocean and then you go, ooh, like this. And you're stopped. And some of you are getting queasy of me just going like this. And so I'm sitting up on this thing, and oh, Lord, help me not get sick. And then this guy sitting next to me, I have no concentration on anything, but help me not get sick here, Lord. And this guy right next to me says, what's up with your bracelet? And so I had my gospel bracelet on. He goes, what's up with those colors and stuff? And I go, oh, I'll get my mind off of getting sick and share the gospel with this guy. 
I started talking to him about the gospel. And he goes, oh, okay, that's cool. And he goes, uh, where do you? he goes, I got saved at a place called Calvary Chapel, La Habra in Los Angeles, and several years ago. And I got saved there, and my wife got saved there. And that's my wife right there. My wife got saved there too. And I was going, that is so cool. I'm out in the middle of ocean with this guy. I had no idea who he was. And his history goes back to someone at a Calvary Chapel in Los Angeles shared the gospel with him. And now he's got two little girls and he's out watching whales with me. And the gospel, I could tell, changed his life. Awesome. And that's what, that's what it's about, church. We're about being the light of the world, the salt of the earth. So people's lives could be redeemed. And they could be blessed instead of cursed. Went to another thing where we were on vacation. One of my best friends out there is the guy that puts us up and is just a good friend of mine. And, and uh, he had us over for dinner. And uh, he threw a little dinner party. A lot of the guests and stuff, along with all 11 hoppies, had us over for dinner. And we're at his house. And I'm talking to this guy. This guy, his name is Tom Flick. And uh, he starts sharing about that he used to play for the San Diego Chargers. He was the second-string quarterback. When I used to pastor in Oceanside, California, he was the second-string quarterback for the San Diego Chargers. And they started sharing with me about how when he was a Charger, there was this guy that was a Calvary Chapel pastor by the name of Mike McIntosh that was the chaplain for his team, and he discipled, he discipled Tom Flick and made a huge spiritual influence upon his life. Now, Mike McIntosh, you understand, is a friend of mine. And he's been to our men's conference many times. And he is the, you talk about an ambassador for Christ, a witness for Jesus. This guy, is, he's a light bulb. And I was thinking of Mike, I'm going, I'm thinking about the thousands of people that Mike has led to Christ because he's been a witness for Jesus Christ for the last 40, 50 years since he met Christ. That's our mission, church. We can be influencing people around the world through each of us getting this vision of each one, what? For each one. So what did we learn in Luke chapter 2 this morning? Let's close it up with prayer. What did we learn in Luke chapter 2 this morning? First of all, we learn in Luke chapter 2 that God is what? God's sovereign. He's in control. He's on the throne. He ain't going to let anything happen to you that isn't for your good and to make you a better Christian and someone who's going to be better off because of the circumstances that you face. Number two, we learned this morning that we need to intentionally make room for who? Jesus in our hearts, our lives, in our time with him. Make room. Don't be so busy you don't have time for Jesus. Make room for Jesus in our lives. Number three, we need to find our peace on earth through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And number four, we'll close with this, God wants to use us, Christians, to be his messengers today. He used the angels with the shepherds, but he wants to use us today to announce glory to God, peace on earth among those whom he favors. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning, God. Thank you so much that you are a God that saves. Thank you so much, God, that you are a God that works in our lives in such a way that we know that you're in control. You're on the throne, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you have a plan and a purpose for each one of our lives. And even the circumstances that we face that are hard at times, God, you use for your kingdom and your glory and the work in our lives, Lord. Thank you, Father, for the peace that comes from knowing Jesus. Thank you that goodwill and peace is on earth for those whom God favors, and you favor us through grace in our relationship with Christ. Thank you, Father, too, that, that we have a mission now, and the mission you've given us, Lord, is to be ambassadors for Christ, to be difference makers in our worlds, Lord, for each one of us to reach one, Lord, 
And Father, I pray that we'd get on board with that mission and we'd be the light of the world that you've called us to be. Give us divine appointments, even this week of Christmas, Lord, as we come into this season. Help us to shine brightly for your kingdom and for your glory, God, and for the advancement of your church, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your provision, too, Lord. Thank you for all the gifts that have been given for, for paying off this mortgage so we could be debt-free as a church, Lord. And just continue to bless that, Lord. You've blessed in so many ways in that area, Lord. It's just blowing my mind. But we pray, too, for our Christmas Eve service tomorrow night, Lord. As we meet together in your name one more time, Lord, for Christmas Eve, Father, I pray that you do a great work in this place. As we know, Christmas and Easter are the two times of the year where people are looking for a church to go to. Just pack out this place tomorrow night and make it a special service for your kingdom and your glory, God. Help us to be excited to just celebrate the birth of Christ again tomorrow night, Lord, as we look at that special verse that the Word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Father, I pray too for some salvations tomorrow night, Lord. I pray that some people on this Christmas Eve service might even come to Christ and find Jesus for the first time in this place. So bless that service tomorrow night. Bless, bless our Christmases too, Lord. Help us to be just living in your love and your joy and your peace, your peace during this time, Lord. Help us to stay close to Jesus in the midst of the busyness, in the midst of shopping, in the midst of the family times. Help us to stay close to Jesus during this time. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Let's all stand, church.